are live, finally, for episode 13. For a first strike, thanks for people in the chat for uh, being patient because of all the tech difficulties uh, in Hamilton that has uh, <laughs> from from Rob. Uh, I don't know what's they going on over there. I don't have internet in Hamilton. It's new. And it's yeah, new. like they only have dial up or something. Um, we got Daniel Forney joining us. I'm super happy to have Dan. Daniel, you're, you're the first guest ever of this new show of mine. You have the honor of being, and I'm happy uh, to have you as my first guest. Starting off modest. That's good. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not. Uh, how's it going, Rob and Vince? How are you guys doing? Uh, the internet works. We're connected. I'm pretty happy about that, I guess. Relieved. <laughs> We're ready to go. I was able now. to fix the, uh, the the telephone line in the back, you know, pull, pull it out, <laughs> make sure it works properly. We had some, some bears. You know, this is another fun. first we have. We have two people in the same room now doing a, doing a First Strike podcast. This is a real First Strike. We're gonna, we have the physical aspect of the First Strike podcast going on. So it's, this is exciting. You can see me and Vince get physically agitated <laughs> with each other in the same space. <laughs> so I got Daniel on because he had an awesome weekend. Uh, and, and fortunately for, for the First Strike family, he did way better than both of you. <laughs> whoa, whoa, way better? <laughs> okay, okay, I'm exaggerating. Uh, he's someone that I've seen constantly do perform well, at least when I check on my social media, when I've checked on cyborg.com. Daniel Forney is someone that I, I just – is a someone – when someone mentions his name, it's just someone that I know has done quite well at the GP level. He's got – two GP top eights before this one. He also has two SCG top eights. And he also wanted to mention that he finished dead last at the <laughs> Romanichi Cup in 2014. And he also works for face-to-face games. So magic, magic, magic. Magic's a big part of your life, right, Daniel? Yeah, it's kind of all I do now. <laughs> for better or for worse. Like, sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's like, oh, man. <laughs> I should play some League of Legends or something. That's my break, yeah. <laughs> so let's get right down to it what our viewers really want to know about is to me you were the first one to succeed in a competitive a top a high level competitive tournament with Jessica Sahili at the the first SCG that uh the new set was legal in what made you take that deck in the first place uh my reasons for picking it up initially are pretty uh Pretty pretty clear, basically. I played Splinter Twin forever in Modern. Loved that deck, like, way too passionately. Got Japanese foils of it. And then they banned it, and I was, like, mind-blowingly sad about it. And then they printed, like, Budget Twin and Standard. I'm like, all right, well, bad Splinter Twin. Like, I've played bad Splinter Twin decks before. Like, I can do this all over again. So uh, when we started testing for the format, because we, uh, we had a friend qualified for, for the PT, Ryan Sandrin from Toronto. So we did a lot of testing as a group, and I immediately was just like, all right, I'm going to play Torrential Gearhulk and Splinter Twin. Like, come on. <laughs> what am I not going to do? <laughs> uh, and then and then we saw your your mana base. Uh, you, the, the person that should have credited you for the, the mana base, someone took your mana base and also top-aided the very next SCG with a few tweaks of your deck. Um, what did you think about your deck heading to the PT? Did you think it was going to do well or that people were going to play it? Um, yeah, basically, I want to I want to give a shout out to Edgar Magalhaes for the mana base. We, we had a bunch of mana bases we were working on. And last minute, I was about to register like four planes and like three uh, 
watering funeral on the deck. And like, oh, as we're filling out the deck list the morning of the SCG, he looks over at me and is like, why are there four planes in your deck? Like, I can't cast any spell on your deck. I'm like, all right, <laughs> fine. Needle Spires, Seven Island. <laughs> and yeah, and it won the SCG the next weekend with uh, Dylan Donegan making some switches. So I'm like, all right, where, where's my royalty check? Come on, come on. <laughs> um, I, I thought going into the PT, actually, that it would be a really bad choice. Because uh, first off, people became more and more aware of it. People were more prepared. Uh, it was a really powerful week one deck because it seemed that everyone had forgotten or never learned in the first place how to play against Splinter Twin. So people were tapping out very poorly or not playing into it too poorly. So there's basically like two play patterns you can play, you can use with like a, just a random mid-range or aggressive deck against a twin deck. Where uh, if I'm threatening the combo, either you respect it and then leave up a bunch of mana all the time or like try to represent you have an answer for it and therefore lose a lot of tempo or just jam and hope I don't have it. And so f- basically the deck's like built pretty well to play around those both of those play patterns. But uh, on week one and on week two, for that matter, I assume basically everybody didn't know how to play into Splinter Twin, a.k.a. Sahili Combo. So it was really good the first couple weeks. That advantage is obviously completely lost at the Pro Tour, where everyone's actually like some degree of very good. And when people have already started to figure out uh, how to play the format. So that loses a lot of the deck's power. Also, we were figuring out at that point that the deck actually could never beat uh, a, like Mardu Vehicles and Black Green at the same time. You kind of had to like pick one deck to build against. So going into an unknown metagame, it seemed like really loose to play it for the Pro Tour. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, it didn't show up very much at the Pro Tour. Okay, and then moving on, what what change that caused you to pick it up this past weekend to a top eight finish? So I tested Mardu for like the the Pro Tour was last week, right? Something like that, two weeks. I don't know, whatever. Uh, <laughs> we tested we tested Mardu for like the whole of the week. I was just trying to figure out how to make like how to build it so that it could be black green because that was the problem we were anticipating. Moto was full of black green decks. People are going a little bit bigger and getting more like Ish Kanaz going on. Every deck was like four Fatal Push, four Grass of Darkness. And eventually, like, I came on a list of Mardu that I was like reasonably happy with, but I kept losing to people playing Black Green. And so I just wasn't feeling confident at all bringing Mardu to this GP. So at the last minute, I threw together a pile of Jeskai cards and brought them with me and hang around on Facebook on the car ride. Uh, local, local seer Omar Belden told me Jeskai was good. I'm like, ah. So we got to the hotel, and I decided to build Jeskai, and I played it, and it was unbeatable. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> was that much different from, from your original list? Um, yeah, it was. I mean, <laughs> so I, I played a week of uh, PPTQs with Jeskai uh, between the SCG and the Pro Tour uh, with a bunch of changes, and it was, like, super powerful. Basically, Shock was, like, really bad after week one. Uh, because of the the nature of the black green decks, like we cut all the shocks, there were like fumigates, more counter spells, uh, immolating glare was the big thing. But then after the pro tour, it makes no sense to not play shock in the deck because you're never going to be Mardu otherwise. And because of uh, like Brad Nelson's black green energy deck, even a bunch of the black green decks had a lot of things like glint sleep siphoner that like you needed to shock on site, otherwise you would die. So shock became playable again. Uh, Emulating Glare stayed good. Uh, Fumigate became good. So in the end, my my uh, my list was actually pretty close to the week one one, just with a bunch of like white removal spells added. 
it's kind of by accident. But. Okay. Um, I'm going to rope Rob here, but before I do, uh, Dan, Daniel, you mentioned that you played Marty and you were scared of black green. And I think uh, for me, when I was coming into the format, that's how I, I would guess the format. I mean, the matchup would play out. PV mentioned that uh, he tweeted that players who want to play Black Green now with the expectation that they'll crush Marty vehicles are in for rude awakening. Matchup is very close. And I think even Paul Chion on coverage mentioned the same thing. Do you agree with them or do you think they're wrong and that Black Green is way better than they think it is? So uh, there's like a lot of very interesting variants of Black Green and a lot of very interesting ways to build it. You can go heavier on the Ishkana path. You can go heavier on the energy path. Um, there, there's all kinds of like in between decks from like delirium energy, all that crap. So the way those different decks interact in different ways with Mardu is very interesting. But a point to be made, and what I think he was getting at is that Mardu's really powerful. It's a high variance deck, but it's like top. It's better draws, much like a lot of the black green decks are kind of unbeatable. And the way those two decks interact, I feel like black-green decks are usually a little bit favored. But I don't feel like it ever gets any better than 60-40. Like, there's still draws from Mardu and games from Mardu that are just not beatable by black-green. So, and vice versa. Like, uh, turn two uh, Snake into Rishkar into Gear Hulk, whatever. Like, if you're doing that on the play, it doesn't matter how good the Mardu deck it's draw is. It's never going to beat it, right? So... They're both very like powerful linear decks, and of course they're going to be trading matches, even if Black Green is like five ten percent favored. Hmm. Okay, uh, Rob, you played. You ended up on Mardu vehicles. What did? What do you think about the matchup? Yeah, so I think I played against Green Black uh, six or seven, at least six times, maybe seven times over the weekend, and I only lost one of those matches. Um, the matches were, like, not a blowout. It's not like I was playing against Jeskai Sahili or anything. Like, every time I saw my opponent play, like, a Spire Bluff Canal or Watering from all on one I got very excited. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the, the green-black deck is it, it's close. I, I think Mardu's favorited, depending on how their, um, how their sideboard plan is. Like, I get very controlling where I'm trying to make them do something important turns one through three and react to like a bunch of creatures that, you know, you need to kill or else I'm going to press the advantage too much. And then when it comes back to me and the board's clear because they're, you know, they're basically trading removal spells for your creatures. At that point, you just want to stick a Gideon um, or a Chandra. And I, I try to keep my heart alive till turn five as I was siding in Avacyn and try to burn one of their um, fatal pushes um, in my combat step by kind of slamming an Avacyn and just having like Gideon, Avacyn, Hart on turn five, staring down like a Constrictor or a Gaunti or something like that. So it doesn't really, you know, my whole team is immune to that. And it didn't really matter. And I, I found that game plan worked pretty well. Um, I obviously cited like Toolcraft Exemplar and, and other kinds of like junky removal, like Incendiary Floor and these kind of cards, right? Um, but yeah, I, I felt good in all the magics, uh, the matchups against Green Black. Uh, my deck configuration was definitely worse against the mirror i lost uh two out of the three mardu mirrors i faced um so i definitely kind of gave away some percentage points there so i need to kind of reevaluate uh my sideboarding plans to kind of hedge uh, a little bit back in the direction of being able to beat the mirror um i i, <laughs> I hedged too far <laughs> in the direction of green black but i don't know 
I, I feel good. I feel. I think. I think Martyr is the the place to be going forward. I just think uh, it needs a little more tuning to figure out, um, you know, how to be less inconsistent. I removed blue. I was very happy about that decision. The blue mana base is so bad. Yeah, it's definitely poopy. <laughs> uh, Vince, what did what did you end up playing? So I was on a green black list. So we have the full we have a full gauntlet in here, I guess. Um, I was on a list that. Sam Thumratnam and I guess with a little bit of help from me, not not too much use, but anyway, we kind of we kind of brewed. We wanted to build a, a green blacklist that that was reasonably good against Mardu, but more importantly, beat the other green black decks. And I think, like Dan was saying earlier, there's so many different ways you can go with green black that um, we felt that a lot of people are going to come to the tournament with that deck, which ended up being the case. I think it must have been like almost half the field was green black. Oh, at least. At yeah. least it was insane. It was, it was ridiculous. Um, so we had gifted Aetherborn as a four of. We didn't try to do any of the, the cute energy stuff with like the Rampage or the Siphon. Or, um, our game plan was really just just ideally get the, the Snake-Rishkar combo going and just try to cheese your way to as many victories as you can. And then... If that doesn't happen, you've got a Death Touch Lifelinker to try to break the mirror open. And it worked pretty well. I mean, I think nine of the 11 rounds that I played were against Green Black, and I lost two of them. And then, no, one of them. And then the, my other losses were against, uh, I lost to Mardu, and I lost a weird, to some, some very weird, like, John deck that I didn't think was very good, and my opponent wasn't very good, but that's magic. So <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't fault the deck for that one or anything. Including the quarterfinals, I played against Black Green twelve times in that tournament. Oh my god! Well, yeah, I mean, so it's the only reason I was in the quarterfinals. But <laughs> yeah, if, if, if you're expecting twelve Green Black matchups, Jessica's the place to be for I sure. Know, know, right? If well I would have had two more Green Black <laughs> matchups, I might have been in the top eight. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> What, like everything is good against green black or something? <laughs> like, uh, I think that, uh, like people just took those green black decks. They don't really know how to play them, right? And there's like a a very wide uh, variance on how they're constructed. So I think a lot of people didn't really know which direction to go. Should I go more energy? Should I go more counter? Should I go more delirium? And like you play against some people that are are kind of split in the middle of of one of those two strategies. And that's definitely like not <laughs> where you want to be. I think yeah. you want to be like full in one direction. Um, and for Mardu, like I think the Delirium version is the best against them because they have access to Ishkana kind of on demand um, in turn five, and that's just a, like a real pain uh, to deal with. I luckily I didn't really face that. Um, uh, I did play against uh, um, a Delirium version, but he was just like kind of dead on turn four, so it didn't matter. Um, that he had Ishkana or access to Ishkana. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I think they're like on average, the green black builds were poor across the field, but everyone was playing them. So obviously it was winning. And then you'll see like the better versions of those builds, you know, kind of float to the top, right? But I think if you just like looked at all the deck lists, probably 80% of them, um, you know, you find some major flaws with the way they're constructed. And like a well tuned Mardu deck is, that's what it's trying to do, right? It's trying to take advantage of people kind of. Misbuilding or missing land drops. So, sweet. Um, Daniel, was there any interesting matches throughout your tournament that you want to mention? Uh, I think you had tweeted or, or was on Facebook that on top eight you lost an unwinnable matchup. I started watching it again today, and the the, the game before that was funny, where the chat just goes nuts uh, showing the match before you guys because uh, Adam Van Fleet 
loses very easily with one land, but he clearly mulliganed the five, but people were just like in the chat, why did he keep a one land hand against Mardu? And against you, they, they go back to your match, and it's like you do nothing and basically cast nothing and die as well. Yeah. So uh, was there any particular match you wanted to mention or, or even that top eight match? Well, that top eight match was downright riveting. Uh, <laughs> my seven had one land in it. My six had no lands in it. My five was five lands. I kept, scried a land to the bottom, drew three lands, and I died. <laughs> Beat him game two, game three. Had the seven with one land in it, pulled to six. It had like a negate in it, and then I lost. It was great. <laughs> I don't know. Like, <laughs> I had, actually had a lot of like really good matches over the weekend. Uh, the the black green decks. The, there's yeah, as as uh, as Rob was saying, there's like a full a full spectrum of how they can be built. Uh, I found that the ones that were more dedicated on the delirium plan and the ones that were more dedicated on like the aggressive energy plan with like rebuilt rampager and stuff were much better than the like middle of the road like i have a bunch of removal i also have that uh three five vehicle that makes energy and glint sleeve siphon or whatever that card's called uh those decks were like a little bit less focused and therefore i i felt like the control deck was able to hit their game plan more effectively but i had a lot of like really fun games uh, the jessica sahili deck leads to a lot of like stressful situations where you over the course of the game, because you have like a high land count, but you also have more card advantage. You go even on a lot of exchanges, and then suddenly they're left there with like a hissing quagmire. You're at eight, and you have nothing. And then they hit you three times, and you draw Glimmer of Genius at two, and you're like, yes! <laughs> two turns later, you have uh, a Gear Hulk in play, two Gear Hulks in play, and you play Sahili, copy one of them. To flashback Glimmer of Genius, draw another Sahili, play it, copy the other one, get another Glimmer of Genius, stack for 20 with seven cards in hand. <laughs> like, it just that's what happens immediately. But there's like 20 minutes of stress before you get to that point, and it's just, it's fun. It's a roller coaster. And that's, that's magic at its finest. Would you consider this a stressful situation, Dan? If you had like two Sahilis in hand and like a Fumigate and a Cat, and you draw your fifth land, and you play it, you tap all your mana, and you just slam cat on the table. <laughs> no. Is that stressful for you? Whatever. <laughs> what kind of an idiot would do something that? <laughs> idiot to not be able to read the names of your cards like that. For the record, I, I did that in my second. <laughs> I, did, I did it, and I'm like, oh, what the? <laughs> Luckily, up. your opponent was pretty nice about it. Although, uh, he was... He was he was looking he was like to, I think I'm gonna try and hold you to that. Maybe he not. Try to call a judge to force me to play copycat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, I think he well, I, I think he just had like double grasp in hand or something, and he was like, Yeah, whatever. Fumigate away. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there were some uh there were some angle shooting and uh, <laughs> interesting judge calls taking place over the course of that weekend. That I had to bear witness to, and I would have been really upset to be a, an attemptive victim of one of those. I, it's like very, it would be very unsporting for my opponent to try to do that. So I'm very glad that he. I agree. I think you said fumigate when you cast it, so I think you were going to win the judge call. Yeah, anyway. I like. I tap my one white land, and then like a, an aether hub or whatever. I'm like, 
All right, use an energy fumigate. <laughs> Cat on oh. the table. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, I probably couldn't win that game anyways. My only out was to like play like an actual idiot. You might have won if you didn't show him the cat. I don't know. <laughs> it, it, that, yeah, that was like... Because <laughs> I mean, now he, he just had, knows. <laughs> he knew I had Sahili, and yeah. if he had Grass of Darkness at all, it would make no sense for him to tap out. So yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. It probably didn't matter, but it was really funny. <laughs> <laughs> Paul Dean's face was the best. When you did it, he's just like, his eyes lit up. He's like... Yeah. <laughs> In my defense, there were two minutes on the clock. It was like basically... It was practically a win in it. I was really stressed. You know, it's fine. Yes. <laughs> um, Never did that again. <laughs> <laughs> for, for people joining us right now, we're here with Daniel Fournier, who just top in at GP Pittsburgh. If you uh, always have to remind our viewers, if you like what you're watching, give us a YouTube like because it helps us a lot. Uh, Daniel, the results of the top eight ended up being that there's like Black Green one. Top eight had a bunch of black green. It looks like it's not going to change. Uh, are you seeing as Jeskai Sahili deck as, as the deck to play moving forward for people playing PPTQs or upcoming GPs? And what do you think about Paul Chion when he's commenting on your games and saying that he would have maybe come in with extra copies of Fumigate in the main, knowing that there's so much black green? Um, I'm hesitant to necessarily recommend uh, playing... Sahili as a like as a as a metagame choice coming up because we have a little bit of a rock paper scissors metagame going on. It's not like it's not a hard rock paper scissors like it has been in the past sometimes, but like in theory and rather uh, like kind of kind of in practice, whatever. Uh, like Mardu beats Black Green beats Jeskai beats uh, wait no Black Green beats Mardu beats Jeskai beats Black Green. There we go, uh, but. This week, we definitely had the black-green being 100% of the metagame uh, part, which made randomly playing a deck like Jeskai or like Aetherworks Marvel extremely powerful. Whereas next week, that might not necessarily be the case. Uh, I would strongly recommend anybody trying to play Standard next weekend or the weekend after or whatever. I don't really know what major tournaments there are, but if you're PPTQing or whatever, to basically pay attention to Moto results over the course of the week. We saw over the course of the week leading up to Pittsburgh that the metagame, in terms of winning decks at the very least, was shifting very heavily towards a ton of Black Ring variants. And at that point, you can safely assume that that's going to reflect the makeup of a large tournament. That said, when it comes to something like PPTQs or more local events, Moto doesn't really reflect anything about the metagame there. Um, local players and people who uh, grind PPTQs, like myself, tend to not be metagaming strongly week to week. They tend to be playing the same deck that they've been playing for previous weeks. And in those situations, like the Pro Tour metagame hangs on a little bit longer. Um, and generally powerful decks are better than metagame decks. And one of the things that's cool about Jessica Zihili is that it is actually a fairly powerful deck. Um, it struggles a little bit in its control role sometimes, but it's like it's got a powerful, fairly linear plan. And that makes it, like, I think a pretty good PPTQ deck. Uh, as for Fumigate, yeah, you should probably play two of them in the main deck. Probably. Uh, <laughs> if people are going to continue playing Black Green, then it's, like, obviously extremely good. The card's a little awkward, because it's actually not very good against Mardu. You'd think that Wrath of God Gain Life would be really good against the aggro deck, but you typically don't struggle with there being a bunch of creatures in play in that matchup. The, the cards that are troublesome are Planeswalkers, 
and um, like hard of Karen to a lesser degree, but like Scrap Heap Scrouncher. And Fumigate's not very good against any of those cards. So, yeah, you got to find different ways of dealing with that. <laughs> uh, Vince, what what did what do you think is uh, the deck to play moving forward? Uh, I think Dan made a bunch of good points there. I think like it really depends. It, it, it is. I think it's even more pronounced of a rock paper scissors kind of metagame than Dan was alluding to. Like you really do need to know if you're going to play at a local tournament, rather than maybe look at motor results, just know what your local metagame is. Try to get an idea of the people you know, like what they're playing. Maybe ask around if you're going to a, a PPTQ slightly out of the way, but just know the type of decks that are going to be in, in in large numbers at that tournament, and then play the deck that beats that deck. That's that's honestly the best thing you can do. I mean, it, especially if you're doing something like a PPTQ, you don't want to try to level yourself too hard and be like, I want to beat the deck that beats the deck that everyone's playing because you're just going to end up losing by being on the wrong side of the rock paper scissors sort of mentality. Um, also, play something you're familiar with. Like, for example, Rob was saying he was beating Black Green with Mardu. I had the opposite experience. If you if you practice with a deck that has like, you know, a fifty to fifty five percent edge or even a sixty, you can sometimes hedge it a little bit more in your favor as long as you know what you're doing, know what your opponent's trying to do, and then react accordingly. So, play what you're familiar with, and then try to get an understanding of your local metagame and react accordingly. Yeah, I disagree with both of you. <laughs> Uh, on on both arguments, actually. Cool. So uh, cool. I think the format is rock paper scissor e. So I'm kind of more in 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 Fournier's camp there. But I think he had the pairings wrong. So I think that uh, Mardo beats Jeskai is correct, um, and I think Jeskai beats Green Black is correct. But the other corner is incorrect. So I think Mardu also does beat Green Black, but Mardu also beats itself <laughs> by just being a little more high variance. Um, than it than it should be uh, to gain that power level. So I think if you could like control Mardu's draws always, um, it would be the best deck hands down, and probably something would need to change in the format. Everyone would try and be jamming that. And then I think the green black pillar is also wrong, and that green black is only really good against other green black decks. But there's like ninety five percent green black decks in the format, so you're kind of good. <laughs> you're kind of good there. So. So just to recap, Mardo beats Jeskai, Mardo be- beats Green Black, but Mardo loses to itself. Jeskai beats Green Black, but loses to Mardu. And Green Black loses to both Jeskai and Mardu, but it beats itself. Okay, so it's different than Mardu, which loses to itself. So I just, just for the audience, just a real quick, um, in a mirror match, you actually can't have a deck with a higher than a 50% win rate because when you win the mirror match, someone loses the mirror match. Just, just so everyone understands. It beats itself 50% of the time. It beats itself, actually. But it's playing the mirror match 80% of the time. time. It also loses 100% of the time. That's, anyway. High win rate going on there. Yeah. Uh, For what it's worth, I, there's, I think there's a lot of clarification that needs to be made about, needs to be made about how you feel about green-blacks matchups. There are, like, a lot of very different green-black decks. And the way they are built for certain matchups depends how they beat those matchups. For instance, the Delirium build that's very focused on like playing Ishkana and having a bunch of removal spells is very favored against Mardu, but is very bad against Jeskai. Whereas the aggressive build with like, let's say, I don't know, Nissa Voices Endicar and like uh, Greenbelt Rampage or Longtusk Cub or whatever has much more game against Jeskai and might be better in the mirror. I don't know. I wouldn't, I probably would never play a deck like that. Uh, but like, 
can never be Mardu, for instance. Uh, so yeah, like there's definitely like the different black queen decks are very different. And I disagree on, uh, on them being bad. I do disagree on, I uh, sorry. I do agree on people like not having figured out quite how to build them yet. Cause they are still all over the place. And there's definitely like really good black queen decks as are kind of always have been in magic's history. Good creatures, good removal means a good deck. But I think in the coming weeks, we'll actually see like what black green supposed to look like. And I have a hunch. It involves like Ishkana and the the mind rack demon and good removal, basically. So we're just going back to the standard green black deck from a format ago, essentially. Yeah, basically. <laughs> I have a feeling the snake uh, isn't the best plan. I could be very wrong. Like it's obviously very powerful, but it's also like high variance and can be a plan that falls apart. It's controversial. Well. I like that. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, like the card's powerful. I just think it's a linear card, and I think black green is not supposed to be a linear deck to perform at 100%. I think if you're on the Delirium plan, it's much uh, it's much less of powerful, I guess. Like, when you're yeah, doing the energy a... thing, you're doing a lot, like, the Siphoner adds to energy right away, so you can draw a card, you know, the turn it, it comes into play. But you don't really want to cast Siphoner, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, like, uh, there's probably some, like, I don't know. Siphoner's like a little redundant in a slow game with a card like Tireless Tracker, but it also like sneaks under counter spells better. Uh, like Black Green has all, all the tools it needs to to be the like diverse threat and answer deck that it needs to be for Delirium to work with uh, like the Traverse the Elven Wall packages and stuff. But people aren't really, I think, focused on that plan as of right now. So we'll see those decks like probably built well in the coming weeks. Hmm. We, we were asking uh, people for questions on the our Facebook page that everyone should like. Uh, Daniel, the top-level podcast is by Patrick Chapin and Mike, Michael G. Flores. And one of the questions that was asked us by Chris Sitchi is if we – I think things have probably changed since the PT with this GP. Maybe the answer is obvious at this point. But Chapin was pushing maybe the idea that Scrap Heap Scrounger should be banned. What do you think about that? Uh no. Okay, Rob. <laughs> um, <laughs> short answer, no. Long answer, uh, the card's obviously, like, very powerful, uh, and it's really good and is really important in the Mardu deck for, like, a million reasons. It's good in a lot of, like, various black-green decks, especially if you have cards like Grimflayer they're able to put in the graveyard. It's good in Frontier if you play that. Like, it's just, like, obviously a very powerful card, but... Just because a card's powerful and is a pillar of the format doesn't mean it should be a candidate for being banned. What's Frontier? Uh, Sorry, you were talking about Frontier? <laughs> I don't know what's Frontier. Right All right, that's fine, whatever. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not here to sell you on a new format. Um, it's fun, though, for the record. The casting Dig Through Time did not get old. But uh, Scrappy Scrounger, yeah, right. Um, cards like that are good, that are pillars of the format, aren't necessarily like shouldn't necessarily be uh, candidates for being banned. I thought, like, the the new ban list with uh, Reflector Mage, Emrakul, uh, Smuggler's Copter was, like, very interesting. And actually, I kind of strongly agreed with banning Emrakul, maybe Smuggler's Copter, maybe Reflector Mage, but, like, some of them were definitely cards that didn't need to be banned, but they wanted to ban. And a card like uh, uh, Scrounger would fit in that category. Like, you would want to ban it to change things and like make control decks better. 
but it's not like a power level band. It's not Stoneforge Mystic or uh, Jace the Mind Sculptor or Memory Jar or whatever. Like, it's a good card that has an important role in a bunch of decks, just like Smuggler's Copter was. But it's not like busted to the point of needing banning. I don't know. I, I think they probably shouldn't have banned Copter either. That card's like very good, but also not broken, right? I don't know. Rob, as, as someone who played Scrap Heat Scrounger over the weekend, what, what do you think of Chapin's, uh idea? Uh, it's like pretty hard to agree with him there. <laughs> I can disagree with Dan that Smuggler's Copter is not insane and broken. It's definitely broken. <laughs> it's a two-mana card that loots when it attacks or blocks. <laughs> it's got three power and like almost none of the speed removal interacts with it well. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's definitely it's like... Skew- it skews... The, the build of every aggro deck in the format. That's the problem with Smuggler's Copter, right? It's auto include. Overpowered card. Broken, I think, is like a bit of an exaggeration. <laughs> okay, like, sure. Reflector Mage is an overpowered card, but it's also not broken. It was unfun, which was the problem with it. Just like how Emrakul, like, was unfun. It's like the Masticore of its time, okay? It's just not. <laughs> it should have never been printed. Everyone would be happier if it had many different lines of text on it or different stats. It's just, <laughs> it's way above rate. Anyway, so I'm back to Scrap Heap Scrounger. There's like a 0% chance this card ever gets banned in any format, no matter how you construct it. <laughs> the card just can't be, it just can't be too powerful. It's just a 2-mana three, 3-2 two that can't block. Like even, uh, I don't know, like just, just it's, it's on the ground, never has a 2-mana three, 3-3 three that can block, like Fleece Main Lion's better. <laughs> And it was like not, you know, not too good. And it's not like you can just put Scrappy Scrounger in any deck. You have to put it in a deck with black mana. You're not just like jamming it in a green white uh, tokens list or something, right? Not being able to recur it. So, yeah, I just I don't see it. I think that's a pretty ludicrous uh, claim. Um, there's probably some cards that are worth watching, like uh, maybe Heart of Kieran or something like that, or or the Cat or Sahili. But <laughs> Scrounger's, I don't know. <laughs> I can't, like, it's just, it's ludicrous. I have no, I have no words to describe how much I think that, that comment makes no sense. <laughs> uh, Vince, Vince, is there anything in your opinion that might, might be in consideration or do you think we're, we're not going to see anything uh, no. too soon? And I think the only, I, first of all, no, I don't think anything should be banned. I don't think anything needs to be banned. And I think one of them, like, we kind of talked about this on the podcast probably three or four weeks ago. This is what happens when Wizards does this thing where they ban three cards and then says we might ban more cards. Now everyone's just, like, clamoring to figure out what needs to be banned next because they don't like a card. And it's, like, it's just so infuriating that people think, like, how can someone honestly think Scrap Heap Scrounger needs to be banned? It has to be because of this announcement Wizard made. Like, that's the only justification for someone thinking, man, this 3-2 is too good for this format. It has to be banned. It's just, this is what happens when Wizards does this, and it's it's actually so frustrating. Because people are getting lazy now. They're like, well, I don't like this card. We should just ban it. I, I think his, I think Chapin's comment was more along, I, I, I didn't listen to the episode, but I think it was more along the lines of there were 31 out of 32 copies uh, in the main decks of the Pro Tour Top 8, and that's, like, more than any card has ever seen uh, make its way into the Top 8. I think like more than even Seer and Visions or Jacer or, or like, uh, I don't know, Squadron Hawk or whatever. So they're like, oh, well, it's like, you know, more prevalent in the Pro Tour Top 8 than, than Seer and Visions. And that got banned. So I, I yeah. think that's kind of where the argument was going. But it's just, you know, it just happened that Aggro was really good at the Pro Tour. And everyone kind of figured that out. So that's... Yeah. <laughs> my, my response to, oh, there's 31 out of 32 possible copies in the... So... 
<laughs> Why is that a yardstick we're using to determine if a card should be? Yeah, what does that have to do with whether or not it's fun or not or good or not? Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> we're doing a, that, right? Like, it's a pretty good right. stat. Yeah, right. like the, the reasoning for banning Splinter Twin was there's been a copy in the top eight of every event, event. ever in the history <laughs> of events. And I read that. I'm like, okay, so why are you banning it? Like, okay, so people play it, so you're banning it? Like, yeah, it's consistent. That's good. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's, banning yeah, that's... are, like, so nonsensical, I've always felt. Yeah. Like, it's very hard to ju- actually justify bannings of cards unless they're, like, unfun. Like, this card isn't fun, bannings. Like Golgari Grave Troll getting banned again in modern is like a wow, this card's really not fun. Like <laughs> the dread check is not fun for either player, so they banned it. Like, good, great. Now I'm gonna have fun. It's a game. <laughs> <laughs> Valid. Valid. I, I like that uh that's kinda cool stat though, in, in a way. Th- that's more it was more play than serum vision, but uh, I'm with Daniel, like so. Uh while I have you on Daniel, there's two more questions I got with you. Helen Bergeau announced nationals. Uh, it just seemed like Canadian competitive players around the world, well, around the country rejoiced. Are you uh, among one of them? Are you excited for, for the return of nationals? Yeah, I'm really happy. Um, I only got to play the last nationals because I am young and was bad for a long time. I'm still bad, but less bad. Uh, <laughs> I I got to have this great experience of like, winning a grinder to get into nationals. Uh, it was stressful. I like, played against like five friends during it. I was so hyped to play my first like event that I had to qualify for. I promptly O3 still had a great time. <laughs> Lost to Omar in the O3 bracket. It was, it was just great. Like <laughs> it was a fantastic experience for a fantastic tournament. And nationals was basically like pro tour Canadians. It's a multi-day tournament. Everyone cared a lot. There was like real prizes, real glory on the line. And it was only, like, good Canadians, right? And that's, like, super hype. Then they replaced it with WMCQs, which at every point during a WMCQ, except for literally the moment where I won one, I hated it. I was upset the whole time, except for when I literally won. And even for, like, half that tournament, I was like, I want to play a PTQ. (laughs) Like, the WMCQs are just PTQs, except people care less, I feel. Because the World Magic Cup isn't actually as prestigious as a Pro Tour. So I think it's a, it's a step back in the right direction. I, I really, it, I, it looks right now like Nationals is just going to be two WMCQs taped together. And I really hope they're not going to go down that path because that's boring and doesn't capture any of the spirit that made Nationals the best tournament ever. Uh, my, my assumption is that they're going to have crappy two WMCQs taped together nationals this year, and then everyone's going to complain a lot on the internet, and next year they're going to be like, okay, nationals is a bad pro tour again. I'll be like, yes, bad pro tour. (laughs) Uh, Robert, what's your take on the return of nationals? Yeah, I think it is going to be two WMCQs stapled together, which is why I don't really care that it's happening. It's like we would just have like one on the east, one on the west, right? Or one kind of like central east and one central west 
coast and ensure what, whatever it is, what it is. And you have the points leader, right? Um, I guess like them removing the fourth slot is worth noting. Uh, that's an interesting development. Apparently like people were, I don't know, unable to figure out how to get along with each other and have two people sit out for like a few rounds each, which is, I mean, pretty insane, <laughs> but it's like, okay, well we can have one, one less person come with us and like have fun. Um, or we could have two people have like a slightly more mediocre experience possibly. <laughs> like it's not like the other guy's doing nothing. Like he does get to interact with all three people at the same time. Right. And kind of help I, them out and, and guide their play. So Go I, ahead. I got to play the world magic cup with that four player system. <laughs> and it was, it was weird. I'm not going to lie. Like uh, the, our, our team was, Platinum Pro Sean McLaren, Platinum Pro Alex Hayne, and my buddy Dave Goldfarb and myself. Yeah, so you and Dave Goldfarb trade sitting out. Congrats. We played seven rounds of two-headed giant while Hayne got <laughs> and, uh, and We lost a lot, but it was just really weird playing two-headed giant randomly next to two Platinum Pros. Like, that's just a weird <laughs> dynamic that's not like how team tournaments like really should be. Where it was cool was like you'd see like the feature matches with the Italians who for some reason were always late into the tournament, and you have like Andrea Mangucci sitting next to his guy, going like, "Hey, hey, you make the good play!" Like and like and then then it was like that was cool when you had like all the teams conferring in, in like serious feature matches and getting all hyped. It's like yeah, sweet, but that also happens with three people. You don't get any of the weird team dynamics going on. Fair, fair. Uh, that's fair. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's interesting that people had such a concern with that that they had to change it. There's like I, I so much attention. I don't think anybody actually like cared that much. I think the impetus for it is the fact that they get to save twenty five percent of the event's plane ticket budget. That, I, that's probably true, but that's not what their announcement said. <laughs> well, I mean, obviously they're never going to say that. Yeah. But <laughs> like, and they spend an inordinate money. amount of money on every pro level event on plane tickets for the players, like. You can assume that, like, if they if Pro Tour Kyoto or something, there's going to be, like, what, uh, 400 people there? And that's, like, probably an average of, like, $350,000 on plane tickets. Repeat that, like, four times a year, more or less, depending on, like, where the Pro Tour is being held. Like, and no wonder they want to cut some of that. That's, like, that's a lot of money. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah, so, uh, okay, so back to the actual tournament. Uh, Rob, can, can you elaborate? What do you mean by, by two WMCQs, like, stuck together? Like you, you're giving a, a spot to first and second, right? Uh, in in new new nationals or whatever you want to call it. Um, so I mean, it's reasonable to think that the person who won the West Coast event and the person that won the East Coast event, uh, if they ran as hot as they did for each of those events and they were in the same event, then likely they would meet up in the finals, right? Um, with the event being uh, probably close to twice as large, like not not quite. Maybe it's like an 80% or 75% increase because some people are just not going to make the flight out. So I think in countries that are a lot smaller, uh, it makes more sense to do this. But in Canada, I think it's just kind of annoying. And it states too, probably, although the flights in the states are a lot more reasonable. But like if they just put the Nationals Championship in like Calgary, you know, sorry, Doug, but I just like have no interest in flying out there to play this event where I need to basically win uh, to get anything, right? Whereas before, I could almost always count in it being in Toronto or Montreal, which is reasonable for, like, 
you know, 60% of Canadian Magic players. And then the West Coast, which is like most of the other 40% could count on that being in Alberta or BC, right? So I don't know. It, like for Italy, or like places that are small where like the whole country is drivable, it's fine or trainable, it's fine. But uh, for us, I think it's kind of annoying. I mean, unless everyone starts giving up plane, t- plane tickets for nationals, but obviously not going to happen. <laughs> it's it's going to be weird geographically, kind of no matter what. They're they're basically priced into holding it in Toronto or Montreal. Hopefully Toronto for my own personal convenience. But it's never going to hold it in Vancouver, Daniel. Ever? Yeah, I mean, probably. <laughs> Yeah, yeah and that's annoying. The, the Toronto Montreal corridor we get. Oh man, we whine. We whine really hard. <laughs> Imagine the French whine even worse. <laughs> but but to be fair, like the majority of our magic playing demographic, uh, especially the competitive magic demographic, is in the Toronto Montreal corridor. It's where the competitive scene is like at its strongest. You'll notice that like tournaments in Vancouver, no offense, are just much smaller than the ones over here. Because they don't have the same population density. Like, there's no the scene there is weaker than the scene here, both in terms of gameplay and in terms of size. Oh, I I would actually say like even though I'm I might I'm I'm not bi- being biased at all. I would living here closer to Montreal. I would say Toronto is actually significantly better. Um, the the gameplay and the the audience compared to to Montreal. I don't know what exactly it is about Montreal or if Toronto is just more populated in certain areas, but I have found that the uh, there's just more hardcore competitive players um, in the Toronto scene. That that's been my experience. I find that GTA has a really an oddly strong competitive scene, and it's really it's really deep, and that's what's like specific about it. Obviously, like the best players in Montreal are extremely good, but you take like we we had uh for for example we had a PPTQ top eight in where where the hell were we somewhere in Mississauga so like loosely an hour out of downtown Toronto and that PPTQ top eight was like the strongest top eight of any non pro tour tournament I'd ever seen like all I think all but one players in that top eight had like GP top eights uh, had played the pro tour multiple times like it was just like a, a very like savagely strong PBTQ top eight. And obviously Felix say one because he's a stone cold master, but like I've never seen something like that. It's, it's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Um, I think like we're, we're, we're just known for our elite. We're known for Hain. We're known for Stern and we're known for Maynard in, in Quebec. But outside of that, I think just Toronto has a, yeah, we're the best. Way better, way best better. The best mid-high level players you'll get. <laughs> way better top ten. Uh, I'll finish this, uh, uh, Daniel. My last question, courtesy of Hain. What was your most valuable MTG learning experience, and why was that experience in Nice, I guess, as influential on your future Magic career as it was? And this got a lot of likes, so so I, I want to know the story behind this. Yeah, it's it's Hain trolling on the internet. Why would it not go? That's his second best skill. I don't know. That's just rude. Um, uh, nice was 2014 World Magic Cup, which was the one I played, and that was a trip. <laughs> I don't know if there's any any specific things, but. Uh, I guess there's like a bunch of fun stories from that trip that are pretty pretty interesting. Uh, one of my highlights was uh, Jacob Wilson, who was playing the World Championship that weekend, was watching Hayne uh, play test some standard with us. And Hayne played like a 
did a bunch of things for a turn, then post-combat played a Temple of Malady and Scribe. Uh, as you might know, it's generally best to get information before you make your decisions for your turn in a game of magic so you make the most informed decisions possible. Jacob got, like, low-key really upset with Hayne for that and just yelled at him, like, Alex, have some respect for the game. <laughs> and that moment to me was like, oh, damn. I'm never going to forget that. I'm going to always scry before combat. <laughs> I'm going to always scry before making my decisions for the rest of my life. So, yeah. Also, we found uh, Owen Trentenwald's Tinder account. <laughs> He's much better at magic than he is at Tinder. I'll, I'll say that much. Whoa. Um, well, thank you, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show, Daniel. Uh, where can people find you on, on social media? Um, best reached on Twitter at Torrentu, T-I-R-E-N-T-U. You can uh, bug me on Facebook, too, which is my name. Pretty open on there. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I expect uh, more GB Top 8s and more, hopefully, hopefully some, some PT Top 8s along, along the way, and we'll get you back on. Thank you so settle much. Down, settle down. I'll try my best. Thanks a lot for having me. All righty. That was Daniel Forney. We're still going to do the show for another 10 to 20 minutes with the old gang, Mr. Robert Lombardi and Vince D'Agostino. It's party time now. <laughs> How's it going, boys? The boys. Uh, so, Vince, are, are you excited about Nationals? You're known as more of a Nationals player. Not a streaming <laughs> personality. And is this guy uh, excited to get those 500 Planeswalker points that you need to, to qualify for this event? I feel like overly cynical on this show, but no, not at all. And I, I, this again feels like I'm like, this is just Watsy trying to sell the, the name nationals to people because like Dan just said before he left, he's talking about his, his experience with nationals before they got rid of it and how awesome that was. And they know people had that experience with nationals because nationals was great. I didn't get to experience it, but literally every story I've heard about nationals is how awesome it was. And, then they had this WMCQ format and people were not enjoying it to nearly the same extent. And they said, what if we just call it nationals and really keep it the exact same thing? Maybe people get excited about it. And it actually works somehow. People are genuinely excited about this idea of nationals. <laughs> and when you look at it, it's, it's entirely the same thing. So I'm, I'm really confused. I don't know how they managed to, to pull the, the veil over people's eyes. Doug's super pumped. Yeah, I, just, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe I'm wrong and it's going to be sweet, but... To me, this looks like WMCQ called something completely different, and I'm not convinced. I'm super pumped. It's probably uh, a chance for all three of us. probably running the event, though. I don't think there's any news about who's running uh, the event. And I'm I'll just put excited. my money on face. Okay. <laughs> I, it's usually going to be face or, or gamekeeper if I had to, if I had to bet on it. Uh, but it would be a great chance for all three of us and Doug to be in the same room together, and that's why I look forward. That's the, the, the thing that I look forward to the most is just seeing everyone across the country that I just talk to online for most of the year and I just never see. And, and that's one of the events where I get to see all my friends from Alberta and Vancouver and, and stuff like that. So I am excited about that. Um, Rob, in, in the announcement was a lot, a bunch of uh, other things – and among them is uh, a few things that made people panic 
about modern. A lot of modern players are upset that they're just going to highlight standard more than going to just keep standard for not only the World Magic Cup, uh, but like national, like the World Magic Cup is the event after, but nationals themselves are probably going to be all standard. So people are like freaking out that uh, modern might be drifting away. What's your take on that? Yeah, so I think actually WotC is protecting Modern for the people that are whining about the fact that it's not getting covered. So um, they should be thankful instead of just bitching that they don't get a, a more GPs or can't play at a Nationals or something. like. It was just never going to happen. Those huge events that are like nationwide or like stuff like a Pro Tour are meant to sell new sets. Modern doesn't do that. We know that. Okay, cool. But people really like to, some people anyways, really like to play modern. They have these, they're invested in, uh, in modern. They have, you know, their deck or they can play their, their style of, of magic and they get to do that. And if you're good at it, then, you know, you can still win with kind of any strategy. So some people are all about that and that's what they want. So if you want these big level events and you want to be able to continuously play your deck without Watsi like banning a card every six months, they're just not going to happen because the format has so many cards in it that someone very good at magic is going to break it at some point, right? Like look at this like SRAM Cheerio deck or whatever, right? The Pierce <laughs> Paladin deck. Like I don't know if it's a real deck because I haven't played Modern uh, in a while because I knew that I was going to be playing this standard GP and then I have uh, RPT coming up at standard and then New Jersey, if I opt into that is also standard. So I'm kind of like locked into standard for Q1 here, but um, it, that deck might be real. Like it gets turn two kills. Um, Zach Elsick like built it and then posted an event that he like, uh, he won the week that he, he brought it there. Um, and a, a bunch of other people have said like the deck is just completely lit. So I don't know if it's easy to combat against. It seems kind of like difficult to to beat because it's a storm deck that like none of the normal cards are good against. You're just like you know playing a bunch of free spells, cycling through your entire deck. You can suit up all your guys for free uh, as well. The deck has a lot of velocity and really only needs like two mana to operate, and it gets to play Lotus Petal, which is a pr- pretty good card in here. So. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like, if you have a, a large event like uh, a PT or Nationals, um, where all the pros are going to be trying to evaluate whether or not that deck is um, is the best, and they all come with it, then guess what? <laughs> Mox Opal's cut. Like, G- GGs, <laughs> and everyone gets hurt by that, right? Like, Landry Control's dead. Affinity's probably dead. The Cheerios deck is dead. If you're playing some sort of weird uh, Thran. Um, uh, I forget this card like sacks for two colorless, like some sort of stupid Tron deck that has Mox Opal in it. Like that, that was your pet deck. That's dead too. So um, it's just better for them to allow like the more kind of competitive casual person um, play modern where uh, it's a little more organic. It's going to be a lot slower to break. And that way you'll have bannings like every year or every 18 months or when things like when they really screw up, like they print treasure cruise, something stupid like that. Right. Where it's obvious that this card like just, you know, it was good for standard, but we can't have it in modern. Sorry. Uh, type of thing. So I don't know. I think that's what they're doing. Um, but they, they can't really come out and say that. So I don't know. I don't know what your opinion is, but I think people just whine to whine to be honest. <laughs> that's Almost hundred <laughs> percent. Oh, the, there, there were, Again, more and more things and more on uh, Helen's uh, post. Uh, not only that, she mentioned, um, well, first, the easy one was the elimination of GPTs, which to me was something I talked about since 
I don't know, episode two about nobody showing up anymore because of the PPTQ system. It just like it was just pointless to to, to have them. No one was was coming up. And the other thing was the the return of the Sunday PTQ. Um, are you excited about that, Vince? Are you are you uh, yeah into that? Absolutely. So I don't know about most people, but I want to get on the pro tour, and I want as many chances to get on the pro tour as I can. Right. So giving me an opportunity on Sunday after I've done a horrible job on a Saturday of a GP to uh, to get a sort of a one-day all-in experience to get on the PT is great. Oh, I, I mean, forget. Are you willing to pay $100 for, for that chance? Well, I mean, that's sort of the, <laughs> the world we live in now. That's kind of the reality, right? I mean, if you want to do it at a GP, you're spending 120 now. I mean, Pittsburgh was, what, 85 US, and it's – it was a constructed format. It wasn't it was seventy five for me. I pre read. Well, I'm was unprepared. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> but it, realistically, prices are going up. This is this is the situation we face. If if you want to supplement, you know, your play skill or replace it by spending a lot of money, now you have the option. At least it's available. Before, if you were bad, you didn't have a choice. Now you can just grind these multiple <laughs> flight BTQs and just hope you get there. I think it's great. I'm a fan, but that's also coming from a player who probably needs this, right? I'm not, I might not be the type of person who can be like, yeah, I'll, I'll X to a few GPs a year to get on the PT, right? So I'm loving it. It's $100 for the PTQ, Sunday PTQ? That's 50 Oh, it's 50 okay. Yeah. I thought it was like, You're going to run it back, right? No, it's 50 It was 50 <laughs> I think At least in Pittsburgh, the it was GP, 50 Well, it's 50 American at, at, at GP Pit. If it's 100 in Vancouver, I think that's completely insane. I think I think that was the the big news that it was a hundred and maybe the chat can correct me, uh, fact fact check me, but I think I that was, it was uh, get got. Okay, hold on. If it's a hundred dollars, <laughs> I thought you meant for two flights because because Vince would need to. to need I would have to, to run twice. it back because I wouldn't win the first time, right? <laughs> if it's a hundred dollars, okay. And now I'm a little bit confused as to why it's a hundred dollars, but they're giving away a car. I think. <laughs> <laughs> A hundred dollars is a little it's a little pricey for a, a, a tournament you have to five zero to have a chance to enjoy. I think so. I think probably what they're thinking is they uh, they because there's only like uh, Wizards said that there's only two hundred and twenty five possible slots um, if they run it as a single event. So they can probably max that out with flights to two fifty six. But there's like seven hundred people or eight hundred people that don't day two right uh, in Vancouver anyways. Um, since they'll probably have about thirteen hundred people, I would expect. So uh, they're probably thinking they'll just fleece everyone because the demand will be higher than the supply. Um, so that way the, they're kind of maximizing their profits. I think they're just – they're literally just skinning the sheep there. Yeah, okay. So <laughs> apparently it is $100, and I don't like it as much now. <laughs> it's a lot of money. Sorry. It's, no, I mean 50, 50 to me is like there's prizes that's like – more expensive than a PPTQ, but that makes sense because you're getting the, the actual invite at the end. $100 is a lot, though. And it's probably single a limb. It is, it's part, essentially right? single so, limb. It's five rounds, and if you don't 5-0, you don't move on. You're better off just going to the casino if it's close That's by, expensive. That's poker. double what I thought it was. Yeah, I don't like it. I don't like it at 100 <laughs> yeah. I like it at 50. I don't like it at 100. <laughs> Robert, Robert, you agree? Yeah, well, hundred dollars. I think hundred dollars is too much for a GP. Yeah, let alone yeah. a stupid PTQ. Who <laughs> <laughs> gives away like eight or nine invites? <laughs> but do you like it at fifty? Uh, I think it's fine yeah. at fifty. Like fifty is like an RPTQ price, yeah. right? So yeah. 
um, that that's reasonable, depending on what the pricing is. Like if they're just like real chintzy on the pricing, fifty. I mean, they have to be much, because of the flight at the end. But yeah, Chris Haas saying that the price was is was a hundred, but they brought it down. So I guess they they're testing the market to see if the community would allow oh, them to just yeah. rake them over yeah, the coals. Them. And everyone said no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see where uh, we'll see where they end up. I think the controversy. Uh, that was, I think it's uh, Vancouver. I think a lot of controversy was happening while you guys were were either actually Pittsburgh or driving back or driving to. Yeah. And when they announced it, I mean, of course, there's going to be some kinks to be worked out when some wizards introduces something, and then TOs have to take that yeah. and see what they do with it. And one of the controversies was uh, Gamekeeper had said that. There were, I think they have changed that since since the player feedback was so strong on social media. Was that you could pre-register for the PTQ, but they weren't going to offer uh, refunds for for online pre-reg. So that if you made day two at the GP, you were just down a hundred dollars, uh, from what I understand. So there was a lot of um, Twitter people I mean- tw- tw- tweeting. That seems more like a blender on their part <laughs> the than, real, than like the real I, if that was intentional. That's that's brutal. I imagine they just didn't think about the fact that the only people that will actively be pre-registering for this are people who will not be playing, who will be playing in day one of the tournament, but won't be because they didn't day two. It's not going to be people that are like, I'd love to just show up on Sunday for a PTQ and not play in the GP. So I'm assuming that was just a mistake they made. I would hope. But yeah, good on them for fixing it, I guess. Yeah, but I don't know how it's uh, – I think they just wanted – it is true that you, you want people to not um, hold the spot. It'd be weird, like, if they did make That's day true. two and they're, they're pre-reg. So, so there was that reasoning. And now they've changed it. I think that they open it on Saturday, like, evening. But there's going to be – I feel like there's going to be a rush to uh, – to fill this tournament and, and people are going to be disappointed. Those that, that can't get in because if this tournament is, um, I don't know what tournament attendance is, but I'm sure more than 200 and so players are not going to be in top eight contention for the GP and they're going to want to play this. So there's a lot of people that won't be able to get in. I think it's going to be pretty close to super Sunday series. Like super Sunday series had between 170 and 225 people or something like that on average. So, I think that's how many people are going to be interested at an event. And, like, winning the Super Sunday Series is actually just way better than winning a PT invite. Is it's, it? Yeah. It's your, the pricing is, like, way flatter, uh, and it's, like, 24 people got invited, and they priced down to, like, 16th or something. And I think, like, 16th got $1,000 or 500 bucks. So you're, like, guaranteed quite a bit. You get to hang out with Watsi, like, for a week. There's just I guess what if you're not doing anything? They're just yeah. giving out packs like go nuts and drafts. Yeah, yeah, okay. It's like I don't know. It's a pretty good guy. Like John went and he said it was just like the best time of his life. Edgar went as well and he said it was insane. So uh, Sammy went. I, I don't know. He, I don't think he had the same yeah, sentiments. Well, Sammy's got different goals, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's, I, I agree with that. Like I'd, I'd rather be on the PT, but I can see why people would like Super Sunday Series. I think KYT, what you said though about um, it being a problem because of the volume of people that want to to join these tournaments. I think that's a really good problem to have as a tournament organizer and for the game, right? If you're having people desperate to join a tournament like this, that's a sign that things are going well. And if, especially if they're that expensive, I mean, wow, great on the magic community for being that excited about a tournament like this. Um, Hopefully that means in the long run, we can potentially have larger PTs or I don't know, some crazy thought, maybe having PTs more Often, I don't know. This is this is a good sign for Magic if people are clamoring at the bit to to join these type of tournaments. 
Um, there's a, a lot of um, mention of price gouging in the chat, and I don't, I'm not even sure how you can make up for that because, like, Watsi doesn't put any standard. Like, all these TOs, they're just different. They're just going to set whatever they want. And even uh, I think we've talked about this maybe possibly on the show about, like, even PPTQ experiences are, are different everywhere, and there's some places that just completely wreck you in, in value. They just keep most of the profit, and – I've been in stores, but like my friend William Blondin's a judge, and when the price structure is out of whack, he does mention to the TO that you know most stores. This isn't fair compared to what other stores I've judged at, uh, like what they do. And I really appreciate the fact that he brings that up. But I mean, he, the store could just tell him to screw off, anyways. And so, you know, the fact that there's not much control. Uh, it's it's not surprising to me like any any to like whether it's the next scg channel fireball gp who knows how high that pre-registration is going to go up and i don't know uh the future what the future holds that's okay it weeds out the the bad tos like the tos that are just trying to like make them <laughs> yeah, you're still because, gonna go though you're still yeah, gonna no, go. I, people will go yeah. but people complain right like other tos that have like just fleeced the market People whine about them like the first time, they whine about the second time, they whine about the third time, and then Watsi just like removes their ability to run tournaments, right? I forget what it was in the states. I think it was like Legion or so- someone like that. Like they were they were really like punished for uh, having like I don't know what it was like poor customer service or poor value at, at their events. Everyone was unhappy, and it was, like I, I don't think they run events anymore. Like pastimes was someone I. I I didn't wasn't familiar with and they actually ran a very good event like the pricing was very fair uh the side events were like all like great value they're swiss tournaments so like the people that were like kind of knocked out still had something to play for like derek got completely wrecked at the tournament he went two three then won his last like one round six and then dropped but he he went like 401 and 311 or or like 4-1 in like two side events um and ended up with a case two t-shirts and like a, po- a progenitus poster or whatever. So like, I mean, it was like $600 worth of value, which is way more than I made. I came 76 on the main event. <laughs> like, okay, so getting back to not talking about Derek's experience at the GP, there's, I agree that there's some level of correction within the community saying these prices are too high, we're not okay with this. At the same level, there is, I think, without question some level of like game theory happening between the major tournament organizers saying if we continue to slowly raise prices as a group no one can really do anything about they don't have an option to not go to a gp there's no competitive you can't go to oh i'll go to the gp across the street you have to play at that gp and if you want to if you want to play you have to pay the price of the tos tos asking for there's no alternative there's that's no alternative fair. That's fair. you're not going to not go to the gp if you if you want to if you want to play right okay mendoza says it wasn't legion so i apologize legion and uh, I, I don't know what to was it was some american to i remember they got in trouble anyway to finish what i was trying to say okay <laughs> anyway there needs to be transparency there needs to be some level of openness about maybe not specifically these are the costs to run a gp but this is how much of the tournament fees are going into supporting the prizes, not the prizes, sorry, uh, paying for the judges, paying for whatever rental costs, like night, let's say it's 90%, 80%, whatever it is, there needs to be some level of, of clarity for the players so that there's a standard met, so that we know in the future 
if one TO is taking 50% of tournament fees and walking away with them versus another TO who's only taking 10%, that we have more respect for that tournament organizer. We want to see them run more tournaments. And I think that that's only healthy for the community in the long run. So I agree. There, need, there needs to be some kind of transparency between what these costs are and, and why they're, they're going up and, and if it's justified. All right. I, I think we're going to call it a show. Anything, last words you want to mention, Rob? About your uh, experience? Um, no, uh, so uh, there was a really cool side event app that, that they had. Uh, I don't know if Pastimes had, had written it or if they were using something that was available from someone else. But, like, at all the draft tables, uh, there was, like, maybe, like, four or five judges servicing all these side event drafts and other types of events. And instead of, like, taking your sheet and reporting up at the thing, they all had the same app. And you would just report to any judge you saw and say, like, hey, I'm in draft, like, 37 my name's Rob, I won, and they would just go into the app, mark that you won, and say, oh, your next run opponent is the winner of these two people. And then when it was done, you just, like, went and collected your prize, and everything was synced up. So there was, like, you just got to stay, like, at the table and kind of, like, finish the drafts as quickly as possible. There was no, like, handing out match slips, like, handing out match slips for, like, these small eight-man side event stuff, right? And there was, like, no confusion about what the records were. And then there was always judges around, like, if you had – you know, if there were like judge rulings or questions that had to be serviced. So they were able to kind of like really balance that where I know like some side events, you're like judge and you like look around and there's just no one, there's no one in earshot or eyesight around you. Right. So um, I hope that like the other TOs kind of adopt that uh, strategy. I think it was pretty good. I don't know if it's proprietary for them, um, but it was a, it was a pretty, pretty neat uh, innovation. Okay. Anything else, uh, Vince? Yeah, just real quick. This isn't really like an actual point or anything, but okay, we're done. No, <laughs> I just I want to say if anyone I know a lot of the time I think on the podcast we can sometimes talk about how standards not in a good place or standards not fun. This that and the other standards really fun right now. If you haven't been playing standard, start playing standard again. It's in a really good place. I wasn't expecting this post these weird bands, but maybe they figured it out. Maybe they knew what was happening. But standard doesn't feel stale. The mirror matches feel interesting. There's a lot of play to a lot of different decks. And you're going to find a deck that you like. There's a lot of different types of decks that have different ways of playing. There's a good control deck, a good combo deck, a good aggro deck, and a good mid-range deck. So if you're not playing standard, start playing standard. I highly recommend it. It's, it's good magic right now. Sweet. Sweet. I, I'm, I'm excited to play. I haven't... I Outside of uh, top fouring with Mardu Vehicles, I haven't jammed enough games. I do want to give uh, some of the other decks a try. Um, yeah, before I, I end the show, I just wanted to quickly give a little status update on my slow uh, shout-outs to Sébastien Lachance, who's been uh, tweeting at me that he'd like to, to donate to the cast. And huge shout-outs to people who have still donated to my, who are still donating to my previous Patreon. Um, the one coming up, <laughs> I've been lagging really bad on this one because I really want, as I mentioned multiple episodes ago, I really want the Patreon to, to give value and not just be like an uncensored episode or just an episode where we people ask us questions and we just add an extra thing, uh, do an extra 30 minutes a month or something answering those questions and have that as extra value. Um, I've had uh, face-to-face is kind enough, like the sponsorship does compensate for these co-hosts that, that I have all the time for, for a bit for their time. So that's su- super appreciative. But the hosting fees and, and other stuff like that, I do need a bit of help from you guys. And what I've had, like Dagger 4 and 
Mr. Lombardi has been, been kind enough to contribute like their draft rankings uh, so that you guys can have a sweet guide when you go in and MTGO draft and, and not only will the draft rankings have their picks for for every color but they'll be updated um, if they need to be updated as they get better and better and grind as uh, Rob gets to that illustrious 1900 rating um, from my side <laughs> and, and me last time <laughs> <laughs> from my side what I really want to happen is keep uh, with me and some of uh, the people other members of the first strike team is to do like have standard and modern guides for every single top deck according to MTG Goldfish. So have the top decks and uh, and have sideboarding guide for the other top decks in the format, and those will be updated along the way. Uh, like the deck list that like the exact seventy five that we're gonna use to test, and I'm gonna be posting like basically be an open book. Um, for any tournaments that I'm going to be playing, I'm going to be posting, and we're going to have, again, a secret secret Facebook group where we're going to be sharing our strategies for upcoming tournaments. At Last but not least, I just want to mention like how blessed I am for the people that are on First Strike, uh, especially you guys and Doug. Like, they're people that are have reached success in a certain level of the game, uh, Mr. GP Champion over here, Doug with multiple, uh, Doug and Brian with GP Top 8s, and not only that, but it's not just the the competitive performance, it's also because you guys are known to be pillars in your community, so I'm just blessed to have you guys on board on this team, you guys are just like not out of touch with the LGSs. And that is generally the case with a lot of these elite players that no longer play at the local levels and that the local players can no longer connect with. And they just, it's just so distant, that gap. And it's hard for, that's why there's so many, I feel that's why there's so many mediocre players in Magic is because those mediocre players don't have that, it's like too far away to to ping these uh, elite players or to bug them. And there needs to be someone that is willing to, uh, teach these people and Rob, like a lot of people just seems to look up to you. Like you're the best. You're always the best. According to people in the chat. So uh, KYT basically said I'm the best of the worst. So that's, <laughs> <what I said. laughs> so that's the update. I just want to do way more. I just want to really do way more than what the other Patreon podcasts are doing, which is just like, again, uncensored cast. And it's not really um, the content that I want to give you guys for, even a dollar or two dollars a month, I just want to be able to give you guys something substantial and high-level content that you won't get anywhere else. Where all these pros are hiding what they're actually thinking and what they're actually playing. So that was my speech, and we'll see you guys next week. And thank you, and like this YouTube video.